Grunthal. Kingsley turns that five sideways. Brian, the gate is down. This is a sharp left-hander. Who's going to shot? Looks like Darcy Lange on that Richmond Gallon Kawasaki gets the jump. That's where it all started. Big MX Radio, brought to you by Justified Cultures, is on the air. Fueled by passion, focused on motocross. Fly racing, Bill's Pipes, W Wheels, Maxima USA, Moto Ice Wrap, 100% Goggles, and Moto Stuff make it possible to bring you the news, the interviews, and the point of views inside the sport of motocross. The gate's about to drop on Big MX Radio. Welcome to the Fly Racing Big MX Radio Podcast Show brought to you by Justified Cultures. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. With us on the line is a guy who knows his way around a microphone himself, goes by the name of Tom White. Tom, welcome to the show. You're the first AMA Hall of Famer to be on the Big MX Radio Podcast Show. Well, you know, honestly, it's very nice that you would actually consider me to be on the show, and and, uh, AMA Hall of Fame, it would be, uh, uh, for me, it was probably one of the nicest accolades I've ever had for for my contribution to the motorcycle business. It was actually uh, under the ambassadors in industry category. So, um, you know, I, I would have loved to have been, you know, inducted under racers for flat track. And I, I did. I was a national number in dirt track, one of the top 20. And a fortunate, I should say, I say a fortunate accident took me down another path. And I started my business and, and I found out I was better at business than I was at beating Kenny Roberts. So that's that's how it went. Uh, there, there's a select few that uh, ever considered themselves uh, uh, as fast as Kenny Roberts on two wheels uh, by by any stretch. But uh, yeah, like uh, it's it's a, a serious pleasure for me to have you on the show. Tom White uh, is, uh, as far as I'm concerned, an icon in, in Southern California motocross and North American motocross. Um, Keeping uh, keeping the heritage of the sport, preserving it, and uh, and moving it forward. Obviously, uh, throughout the seventies, eighties, nineties, with uh, with White Brothers, and uh, only th- about three weeks ago, um, calling the action at Glen Helen, uh, just uh, just a little bit uh, away from your uh, your motocross museum. So, uh, uh, past, present, and future, Tom White is uh, kind of deeply entrenched. I'd say. Well, thank you. Um, um fast obviously uh, my involvement uh, from the company side to you know sponsoring a lot of riders I mean going back as far as you know Bob Hanna Marty Motes and then moving forward Jeremy McGrath and later on Chad Reed um, and um, you know we sponsored the factory the Yamaha a team for a while and yeah. the factory Honda team with our exhaust but but uh, yeah no a, a long history with that but I think uh, you know, now I've kind of moved into a, a role where I work um, with Glen Helen and work with the AMA Nationals for the outdoor motocross and um, um, had a little bit to do with the GPs that are here in America. Right. And uh, I just kind of, I'm just an advocate for motorcycling. I've been very, very fortunate that I was able to um, start a company and and build it and, and, and do well, um, sell it, and now live with the 180 motorcycles in my museum 
And so it's payback time for me. So I'm trying to just make sure that the sport continues to grow in the future and, and, uh, and that we, uh, uh, that, that we can really enjoy our motorcycling experience without, you know, and obviously looking back and say, wow, those were the glory days back then. And instead, look at it, man, look at where this is going. That's what totally. I like to see. It's uh, in, in a lot of uh, a lot a lot of people like to say that in a lot of ways motocross is uh, an ever evolving glory day. Like obviously there's t- there's times when we we feel like things are going better uh, than others, but uh, um, I think there's in in all age groups and all uh, uh, demographics of motocross, uh, you'll always look back to s- certain times and say that's that's when things were great. That's that's when uh, I, I had the best memories, and those types of memories are kind of like a constant thing with motocross because we we're so passionate about it. It uh, it drives us uh, to to um, uh, addiction like uh, circumstances where sometimes we end up with 180 motorcycles in uh, uh, in pristine condition uh, to display in a uh, in a museum of sorts and uh, not unlike uh, the racers who on every single weekend decide to spend a good number a, a good portion of their weekly paycheck uh, to see if they can chance the ability to take off from a starting line and uh, come across the line in, in out front uh, to collect a plastic trophy or maybe a few dollars or both. <laughs> Yeah, well, well, you're right. I think I need to go to therapy. All of us do, but <laughs> and the, but we use motorcycles as therapy, so that doesn't work. Yeah, we either. do absolutely. Uh, 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 honestly, uh, it, uh, for me, it's it's, uh, uh, it's it's been my life. I enjoy it so much, and I see the people that are involved with it, the families are involved with, it, and it, it it goes way way past your social economic standards. Uh, you get on a motorcycle, and and you know, I mean, it's. Uh, you could be a you could be a greeter at Walmart. Well, probably not because you have to be my age to do that. But if you could be you could be you know entry level uh, sweeping the floor at McDonald's. But if you have skills on a motorcycle, that that CEO at a big company uh, that that uh, you know you're gonna you're gonna you know you're gonna show them how to ride. So I yeah. love that. I love that about the sport. I love the fact that that the manufacturers build such great motorcycles that you can go buy a competitive motocross bike or off-road bike right off uh, the showroom floor and, and experience the sport. I mean, it's, it wasn't always that way. I mean, the bikes back uh, in, you know, the, when I got involved with the sport, which was late 60s, early 70s, I mean, it was, uh, if you wanted to go out and be competitive on them, you had to spend a lot of money on modifications which obviously didn't work so bad for my company white brothers but um, moving forward it, it's more of a challenge for aftermarket uh to to make these bikes better because they're really good absolutely i know I, i've talked to the guys over at bill's pipes a couple of times and uh they, they i always talk like brandon over at bill's pipes i'm like what's your biggest challenge as far as building a system and he's like honestly and this is no joke um you might be able to beat stock quite easily with uh with by weight but trying to beat the stock system uh on horsepower is something that's difficult to do um and so that's a testament to uh, what you're available to get uh at, on a showroom floor because it wasn't that long ago that uh your stock Kawasaki KX125 came with steel bars and um, a, a host of like, like not, not so great tires. Like the the rims were cheaper. This that and the other thing. Now the uh, a KTM comes with uh, with uh, neck and bars and uh, a set of um, XL wheels on it, which is something that was almost like you had a dream about getting something like that uh, on your motorcycle. That's uh, that's live. That's on on your motorcycle from the very beginning, and it's uh, kind of uh, in that whole tagline of race ready. You got it. You got it. So yeah, it's uh, 
but uh, we're very fortunate, and we ride great bikes, and 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 uh, you know it's 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 good to uh, to see the sport continue to move forward. But we do have challenges in the future. We can talk about that later, maybe. Absolutely. Now, so uh, obviously, like you, you kind of touched on it just a moment ago, uh, a guy who uh, uh, twisted a throttle at the professional level uh, in in your youth as a, as a young man, and uh, really kind of, I think, in a lot of ways, kind of shaped your ability to look at motorcycles a little bit different ways. That uh, back in the day, it was more about uh, um, uh, not just the rider and not being a jockey on uh, a particular uh, like your your factory bike, uh, it was the rider developing a motorcycle, uh, for flat track or, or, or TTs and scrambles and stuff like that. That was, uh, like kind of like almost like a purpose built custom machine to whoever that rider was, whatever you thought it was going to be, uh, the, the best formula to, uh, to generate some speed, whether it be cams, it would be, uh, shaving the heads and stuff like that. Uh, a whole lot more involved than it is now is a lot of people, uh, you get some, a couple aftermarket parts, you put them on your, on your, your bike and the thing's great to go. So, um, but you had a lot of experience developing and, uh, kind of making something your own. Well, Brad, uh, you know, uh, honestly, yeah, you, you've got, uh, you know, I think you mentioned earlier to me before we were on on the uh, podcast that you're 28 years of age. You got an amazing understanding of what went on back in the day. And I'm gonna I'm gonna just disclose right now. I'm I'm 67 years of age. So I think the younger listeners. I mean, you you may want to just you know turn off the radio now because <laughs> I mean maybe maybe I'm just not relative to you at all. Uh, uh, what I'm gonna say, but but on the flip side. Um, I guess the only thing that makes me relative is because I stay so completely involved in the sport, and uh, so <clears throat> so I'll say that. But but I'll tell you that back uh, when um, I started riding uh, was uh, 1965 was the first time I put a leg over a bike, made it halfway around the block on a Honda 50 and hit a parked Cadillac. Uh, that that cost my parents 65 bucks, and then uh, and then which they is about a month's wages at the time. <laughs> yeah, they decided I didn't have the necessary skills, but uh, I ended up buying a. Um, uh, once I got a job, I, uh, I tried to follow my brother, my twin brother Dan's footsteps, and, and I got a motorcycle, a Yamaha 100, a 1967 Yamaha 100 single, and they were so much fun to ride. And back then, it was really easy to get into the sport because the bikes, you know, they were relatively cheap. You could ride a, a small bike on the street and use it for transportation or whatever, and then you could actually kind of go out and race it. I mean, it wasn't like uh, you had to have, you know, the, the, you know every every discipline. I mean, you, you, whether it's off road, you have the special bike for off road, or, or or motocross, or of course street takes it in a whole different area. But back right. in the day, you could do kind of all this stuff, so it was kind of easier to get in. And I'll also point out, it was really the glory days for motorcycling. In the, by the mid seventies. This sport, we were selling over two million motorcycles a year. That's insane. And I want I want you to know right now. I think we're not even selling four hundred thousand wow. motorcycles a year. So, so look at this. You know, look at our activity, and and as an industry, which I work more closely on the industry side sometimes, it, it, it's a challenging time for us. But but it was it was big. But it wasn't the professional level that we have right now. But yeah, no. I mean, I got into it hook, line, and sinker, and you just take a, you know, you take a step. It's it's, uh, and the the first step is you go out and enter your first race, and then and then the next step is you okay, you're doing pretty good, and you move up 
in you know amateur ranks and and I saw that you were a B rider and you had some pretty good success actually and I appreciate that. You, you raced down them and Millville with with my the, my friends the Martins. I mean that's that's cool. Yes, sir. Uh, a couple of yeah. times uh, chasing around, as well as uh, Mitchell Oldenburg. Uh, I believe those kids yeah. on a regular basis fed me my lunch, uh, <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, uh, was able to uh, uh, see their back fender for a few corners at the very least. And uh, I, I love going down, whether it's uh, like Staples or, uh, uh, or or Millville, Minnesota, and and doing some racing down there. Uh, it's a that's a track. Like as far as Manitoba goes, we've got some decent tracks, but uh, the the Holy Grail of at least a local or some somewhat within within a eight hour drive at Millville. That's a that's a track that's that's a track that your 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 average uh, professional would consider their favorite track. So it's nice to have it as close as it is. Well, Brad. So so anyway, my path actually took me to to in the day. If you wanted to be uh, if you wanted to be significant in motorcycle racing, um, motocross was still just really. And we're talking late '60s now. Motocross yeah, was just infancy. really coming in. It was more of a European sport, and and and, and it wasn't it wasn't that popular on a national level here in America. Right. So the, I went the flat track route, and and, and you know I, I turned pro. When you turn pro at flat track, you ride 250s. So I did Ascot and pretty much West Coast Nationals. And by the time I got into the early like 72, 73, I turned expert, and I was racing the Grand Nationals. So anybody that's seen the movie by Bruce Brown on any Sunday would, would know those are, that's what I did. That when I raced with those guys, Mert Lawwell wow. and Gene Romero and all those guys. And uh, I was an expert, got a national number, was ranked in the top 20, and, and that, and, but you know, racing Triumphs and Harleys. But it was an entirely different discipline, but it was, the sport was bigger then. It really was. And because we were selling more motorcycles, right? The the we did what we didn't have is we did not have the television coverage like you do now and all that. And I soon found that once I, I started my company, White Brothers, there was no business selling accessories to flat track guys. They want everything for free, and the sport <laughs> was already kind of it was it was maybe it was at such a high level that 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 you know there was no business for the amateur guys. So we we moved in and found out you know, that you know people go buy a motocross bike back in the day. They buy, you know, we got involved in early Yamaha with Yamaha, the uh, the monoshock bikes, and you know we had modifications to the suspension. Yamaha came out with a TT five hundred, and we had pipes, cams, all the stuff, all the skills we had learned from building our own flat track bikes on four strokes. It was easy for us. I mean, you know, I I, I knew who to call to to build a, a good camshaft. I knew the piston right. guys. I knew, and then and I knew who could sell us, you know, swing arms, all the stuff. So we we kind of went about putting the, all the accessories together. And oh my God, what a ride! I mean, it, it grew it, and it grew a lot because we started with me and my my dad in '75, and when I sold the company, we were at forty million dollars. That that. That's over the top. I mean, like, uh, I got to think that a, a lot of this, uh, like, your your knowledge and, uh, and and some of the connections and the relationships you built kind of stems all the way back to uh, your days uh, turning wrenches in uh, in Southern California, working and going to the, the, the Yamaha uh, Mechanic School, going to the Kawasaki Trade School or uh, Mechanic School, uh, taking in that, that, that knowledge and, uh, and turning that into... Um, 
basically modifying these motorcycles that, uh, for the mo- for the most part, your stock, your average um, Suzuki uh, 252 stroke or, or 125 came pretty like pretty bare bones as far as what it, what it uh, what was available and like uh, as for, from stock like you needed that porcupine head you needed the different bits and bobs to uh, to make it something your own and make it pr- make it um, uh, reliable because uh, like people don't know that the reason why motocross is a two moto format is because they had to have two races because uh, a lot of times these factory bikes wouldn't last two motos or they wouldn't get two <laughs> motos in so they had to they, so if you could watch George Jobay you had to have two motos because there's a good chance he wasn't going to race both yeah you know and actually Brad it evolved from a three moto format there you go yeah and interesting way that you know, outlook from that point, I hadn't really thought of it, you know, that, hey, you know, it gives you a chance when you blow up the first moto, but, but uh, as you know, it's, it, uh, you know, you have to have two solid motos. I mean, it, it's just a great, great sport, a great activity, oh, yeah. and, and, and it's just fun for me. I once, once I gave up professional racing and, and started my own business and then really started riding, you know, motocross is, you know, you know what I wanted to do. It was it was fun for me. I, I I really had no need or necessity to go back to flat track racing as an amateur because and I'm not I don't want to sound like a bragger, but I was at the very top level. Right. So why would I want to go back after I'm retired and go out there and 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 not have the best equipment, be not have the same reactions and the invincibility that I felt at that time, and I and I look at that right now as a lot of our top pro motocrossers. Most of them, if they're smart, when they quit, they quit, and they'll come out for an occasional, you know, celebrity thing. But, but you know, if you're going to be the top level uh, motocross, supercross, literally any activity, you give it 100%. And sure. And then, you know, later on, you got to move on. And that's kind of been a big focus for me. I've actually written some stories about how racers that that grow up and now i mean if heck, if you're not on a bike by the time you're four or five years of age Forget and it. It, you don't have a chance and i mean you got to go through we know all the big races and and it's sad that so many of these riders coming up their mommies and daddies in their big motorhomes only take them to these really big events the kids oh, yeah. need to be and and they and they go to practice tracks but they, they don't need race to be coming anymore. out and racing 40 weekends a year at saturday with us at rem riding real tracks to be in my opinion prepared for you know the road to, to um you know um and i'm talking mainly about america here because mm-hmm. you know that's yeah. where i live but you know we the way we do it is we go through you know the the uh, the qualifiers for literate lens and you and you go through that and by the time you're 18 uh and you're either you're either one of that handful of guys or or a gal that can be good in, in in the women's side of it, but or you you gonna have to move on, but if you are lucky enough to be that guy, and you can establish a career, it's it's gonna last maybe until you're thirty. Chad Reed's a, a an example of somebody that's taken away past that. Yeah. But but I just think you know we we all of us really need to um, to do maybe a little bit of what I did. I built my own bikes. And I and, and that was part of the whole experience for me, and I understood every part of it. So when it came time for me to kind of go, you know, well maybe, you know, 
I've just broken my arm for the second time, and now the arm doesn't bend, and it's not straight. Maybe I should, you know, look at something different. Then I had some skills to fall back on, and I just think that's that's important for for all of us in this sport to, you know, just enjoy it and take. And if you've got those skills, don't quit on yourself. Give mm-hmm. it every shot you got to get to that top level because it is worth it. It really is. But be sure and have a backup plan. Oh, absolutely. I think uh, anyone who do, wouldn't uh, prepare themselves for la- life after motocross uh, it would, would be doing so foolhardy in the fact that uh, even a guy like uh, that had a long, successful career like Andrew Short, uh, he's, he's got a ranch, he's probably pretty, pretty uh, set, but uh, there's some guys that like even though they have like they, they'll spend some time in factory rigs, they will at first uh, at some point need to work uh, to to provide for their families. And uh, unlike uh, a sport like hockey, where uh, the, the the Canadian uh, Hockey League, the CHL Junior Hockey, they make you uh, go, uh, do all your high school courses. Uh, and there's high school, there's college scholarships uh, for for hockey, or there's a football program. You have to go to post secondary. I would argue how much those kids, some of those guys, actually go. But uh, either way, you're you're forced into a school program. Whereas uh, most Across, you are uh, a lot of times. Uh, you're living at a, a riding facility. You race about six times, six seven times a year, depending on how many nationals that you hit. Uh, and uh, you're, you you get a, a kind of a, a GED or an equivalent to that. And then. Uh, um, I, I think it's rather interesting that kids will race about seven, maybe seven, eight times a year, whether it be qualifiers or these big races. And then uh, by the time they're 18, 19 years old, uh, Supercross and the AMA uh, Lucas Oil Pro AMA, AMA Nationals are asking them to be on, on two wheels for 36 weekends a year. So it's... <laughs> Um, that's like, that's like saying like, you're, you're never going to play a hockey game until your first year of the NHL. And that's 82 games, baby. Let's go. Yeah, you, know, you know, we can learn a lot from hockey. <laughs> seriously yeah no i'm i'm hey man i'm that's uh, that's inspiring brad that you um you mentioned that and, and that's a, a great path but um anyway it's uh, uh it, it 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 is and will evolve that it will um hey everybody this is jimmy button former factory supercross rider you're listening to the big mx radio show we're going to take it to a commercial and we'll be right back Justified Cultures is the kind of apparel from the moment you put it on makes you feel like it was made just for you. Quality, comfortable apparel designed for and inspired by the live what you love lifestyle. Woven throughout the moto, desert, skate, and surf culture of Justified is the desire to celebrate human achievement, to inspire and create a modern lifestyle brand reflecting today's generation. Zach Commons, Matty Jesse, Phoenix Racing Co., Dominique Daffay, Cody Matichuk, and John Short are just a few athletes who don Justified Cultures clothing. Passion needed a clothing line to speak to the way that it lived each day. So, we created Justified Cultures. Navigate justifiedcultures.com to easily view over 40 individual styles to help you make a statement every time you step outside. As presenting sponsor to Big MX Radio, lock in promo code BIGMX17 when checking out at justifiedcultures.com to receive 30% off your Justified Cultures clothing. Express your lifestyle with Justified Cultures. Live what you love. This is a test of your RacersIndex.com awareness. 
This was a test to see if you're ready to be found at racersindex.com. Supercross and Arena Cross are coming up. Now is the time to secure your position on a team. Mechanics, models, riders, flaggers, team owners, production specialists, anything related to racing. Be found at racersindex.com. Click it for your ticket to be found and become part of the racing industry. Racersindex.com, your ultimate race production resource. Visit racersindex.com now. When it's time to turn heads, Spokeskins has you covered. Whether it's dirt bikes, street bikes, or bicycles, nobody does it better than Spokeskins. Mix and match your spokes, or go with the same color all the way around. Either way, Spokeskins is the way to go to customize the look of your bike. Uniting off-road riders on every end of the budget spectrum, Spokeskins is aimed at giving you the custom look without the custom price tag. If you're looking to set your bike apart from the rest of the herd, turn some heads, and be able to change your bike's look on the fly, head to spokeskins.net. They don't just have spokeskins on their website, they've got more. New products are being added all the time, like the Motul Slacker Digital Sag Scale, and just recently, Galfer Off-Road Series Rear Brake Lines, Oversized Rotor Kit, and Front Brake Lines as well. So do what I did. Head to spokeskins.net today, place your order, and get set up to turn some heads out there. Spokeskins, we've got you covered. Racersindex.com is your ultimate race production resource. From the starting line of production to the finish line of winning, Racersindex.com is your go-to resource to be a part of or produce a checkered flag winning event. The professional's place to find work and workers, rides and riders, and more. If you need it to make your race event happen, it's happening at Racersindex.com. If you want to be a part of the racing world, join the Racersindex.com team today. If you need people on your team, you can find them at Racersindex.com. Log on now and find what you need, who you need, and anything needed for two-wheel or four-wheel racing. Log on if you're a mechanic, model, rider, flagger, caterer, sound engineer, team owner, production specialist, or anything related to racing. Find all people, places, and things racing all at racersindex.com. From dirt to the track, from desert to the drag strip, racersindex.com is your ultimate race resource. Click it for your ticket to all things racing. Racersindex.com. What's wrong, Jeff? I don't know, Jay. Well, you better fuel up with a nutritious breakfast with oats and bran. Oats and bran? I didn't think there was such a thing. That's what I used to think. Now, I start out every morning with a bowl of Amigos. For extreme kids like us. X-Racing Man. But more than box, what Big Jeff likes is a fat bowl. Amigos with bran. Fat bowl. Amigos with bran. Oats for power. Brands for speed. Who that taste? What a delicious. Cereal V's Emigos. That's what I call fueling for the big ride. Hey kids, start out every morning with a fat bowl. In motocross, everyone wants one common thing. To simply enjoy the ride. Sand, clay, loam, concrete, and everything in between. Riders all want to be able to enjoy their ride. But today is arena cross. Tomorrow's Glen Helen, and Saturday, we're heading to this gnarly sand track. How can we be sure our suspension is always dialed in? For most, 
employing a full-time practice technician is unrealistic, and even for those who have one, setting suspension is still a chore. Get a measuring tape, scratch a mark on the fender or rear number plate, and attempt some backward math to find 105 millimeters. Does this tape even have millimeters on it? Forget that. Head to motool.co today and set your sag every time you ride with the Slacker Digital Sag Scale. Let's hear from Johnny K. Spear himself and how this thing works. So uh, really basically you would just uh, stick it on your axle with the magnet, stick the clip on your side plate, basically where the arc of the axle would hit the side plate, and then uh, pull out the retractable cable, hook it to the clip, and turn it on, and then just take the bike off the stand and, and take a measurement. It's that easy. Trust tuning your suspension to Johnny K. Spear and Motul MX. WUSA is your one-stop shop for quality wheel sets in America. All of the best components built for the toughest conditions. Hit up WUSA.com, that's D-U-B-Y-A-U-S-A.com right now and check out the custom wheel builder selection. Pick your rims, pick your hubs, pick your spokes, even pick your nipples and see what it's going to look like on your bike. On the website, you'll drool over components like XL and DID rims, Talon and Kite aluminum hubs, Galfer and Brembo brakes, and spokes that take a lickin' and keep on ticking. The same wheels that you buy are built by the same guys we're building wheels for. Ryan Dungey, Jeremy Martin, Chad Reed, and the entire Geico Honda team. And I kid you not, they are not told whose wheels are whose, they just build amazing product. And I want you guys in a set of W wheels. So do what I did and head to WBYAUSA.com today. WUSA, all things wheels. Hey guys, Bill's Pipes is back, and that means the return of legendary performance. Two strokes, check. Four strokes, check. Since 1974, they've been tuning power at its finest for motocross racers, off-road racers, you name it. For you two-stroke lovers, the MX2 Bill's Pipe exhaust system is flat out the right choice to make. Nickel, works, and the brand new cone look is the right system for the job. When it comes to four strokes, Bill's Pipes brings the RE13 to decimate the field anywhere, anytime. So if you want the same pipe used by Billy Leninovich, Sean Collier, Vicky Golden, and the entire Barn Pros Home Depot Yamaha team, head over to Bill'sPipes.com today and never settle. Hey, this is Adam with Vexy MX, and you're listening to the Big MX Podcast Radio Show. Hey, this is Alex Ray. I don't know if, why you're listening to Brad's podcast, but I'll be back on soon. Hey, this is Zach Cummins. All you hosers, quit listening to Nickelback and jump on over to the Big MX Radio Show. Hey, guys, this is Kate Clayson, and not only do I blow uh, Alex Ray's doors off in the track, but I do it at K1 speed, too. One thing I love about motocross, and we'll, 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 we'll dive deeper into uh, all things Tom White in, in just a moment, but the thing I love 
most about motocross is what I, I gravitated to it when I was 11 and 12 years old is that uh, like I, I, I make a lot of hockey references because I've played hockey since I was four years old and at one point I was pretty sure I was going to go to the show you, you know what I mean you're, you're going to make it there one day but um, at one point the the the, the skill level wasn't quite there, uh, the size wasn't quite there, and you end up uh, you end up uh, sitting on the bench. You're riding the pine. With motocross, if you bring a bike, you have the appropriate riding gear. You pay for your entry. You line up. The gate drops for everybody, uh, and doesn't matter how fast you are. Doesn't matter how slow you are. You get your laps in. And I always joke that I don't end up. Uh, in the first place too often. So I just get a little bit more track time than anybody else. Um, so, um, it's, it's the beautiful thing about motocross is that everybody gets their laps. And regardless of you, if you were, uh, liquid fast or slow as molasses, um, You'll, you'll get that nod from people as, as you're leaving. You get that wave from, from people that you don't even know. Uh, it's a mutual respect. It's a family. And uh, that's what made me gravitate to it because it's regardless of how fast you are, you get your laps. Individual sport. That's, that's that's, uh, um, when I was in high school, I, I was a wrestler. And uh, as you can imagine, when you get out there wrestling and, and you're one of the varsity wrestlers on your team at each weight, I actually was a 98 pounds freshman sophomore year. Thank God I grew, but then again, it wasn't such a good thing to grow once I became a flat track pro because, you know, I'm racing against Mert Lawell, Kenny Roberts, Gary Scott. These guys are like 135, and I'm 160. So, at any rate, uh, it's it, you're out there, and uh, when you're good, you're good, and, and when you're bad, you're bad. And, and I really appreciate that about and the activity. And hey, I go out. I'm I'm, I'm racing this. Saturday at REM. Uh, it'll be my 30-something Saturday in a year racing out there. I'm actually going out uh, Wednesday is Motocross Action Magazine Ride Day out there. I'm going to go out and ride that day. Oh, right but I'm, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm, I'm 67 years age. I'll be 68 here in a couple more months. And, and they're in the over 60 class. 60-year-old. We're not talking 60 cc's. We all should actually should be on 60 cc's because, but 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 there's we're averaging 20 to 25 of us, and the the reality is, and I'm going to say it jokingly, none of us have got a life other than we just love it. We can't get out of it, and and we and, and our pace is, is is pretty slow. I mean, it's pretty sad that 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 a, a 250 or 450 beginner. Is faster than most of us that are near the top of our game in that, but but we're still out there doing it because, and it's and it's it's just about it's putting in solid laps, it's trying to be the best you can be, and I mean we we all experience that, and and you can't explain that to a non motorcycle racer what totally. it's like. I totally it's impossible. Yep. If they ask the question, why are you you know as old as you are and still racing a motorcycle, then if they ask the question. They're not going to understand the answer, so don't even waste your breath. So. <laughs> you couldn't agree more. No, it's it's something that gets inside of you. It's uh, it's it's deeply rooted and it sticks to you like glue. And uh, that's why uh, my my dad and I uh, had to tra- trip down to. California stayed in San Bernardino uh, to take in the uh, the the thirty fifth running second thirty second running of the uh, of the Vet World Championships uh, hosted uh, in, at Glen Helen WUSA uh, was the the presenting sponsor of course it used to be the the white I believe it was the White Brothers event originally when it was at Paris correct yes sir. 
And, uh, yeah, that's like for, for my dad to consider that a bucket list event and like knowing that uh, my dad's probably not unlike uh, many others like him. What does that mean to you that, that, uh, uh, that you're an event that you had, uh, you've been a part of for 35 years is, uh, is circled on a calendar of many, um, people who have been dedicated to the sport for a lot of years. They have that passion for the sport to travel far well, and wide to go to this event uh, and, and make that a, a, a moment in their life to remember. Well, Brad, uh, first, what's your dad's first name? Uh, it's Brian, Brian Gebhardt. Brian, and how old is your dad? He is 59 this year. We came down this year because next year he wants to race it as a 60-year-old. <laughs> well, God bless him. I can't wait for him to, to jump up into that class. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, the... Uh, you know, it was it, I started the event in 1985, uh, and actually uh, we were out at Paris Raceway and uh, you know racing, you know just you know like all I, I mean I never stopped. And Alan Olson, I think you might not know that name, but he oh, yeah, was across yep. mechanic of the year in 2006. He's a friend of mine. We play a lot of golf now. He's given up motocross because his knee's so bad. But but Jody Weisel, I'm sure you know him as the editor of Motocross Action. I got to actually but, meet Jody uh, at the World Vets. My dad, my dad has been reading Jody's box since the very beginning. It was a thrill for him to meet Jody, and actually, he was a uh, like surprised surprised how how like it was really engaging and great great it was to talk to Jody actually. Oh, good, because he's not always that engaging. But That's true. <laughs> Jody and I have been friends for a long, long time, and hes he, I think he's a brilliant editor, and, and and I'm very privileged. I don't know if you knew this, but I'm the um, editor, one of the, I'm the vintage editor of Motocross Action Magazine. Have been for like, I'm on the masthead for the last like five or six years. I do know, you know that, that? because uh, I've been uh, a subscriber ever since I got my own permanent address, other than my parents' place, and uh, I do read your articles. So maybe, uh, maybe you guys, maybe your read, your listeners could all call in and say uh, to, to Roland, that's that's Jody's boss. Say it's time to send Tom a check. I'm sure they're all just lost in the mail over the last few years. <laughs> I can't imagine why you you haven't been uh, fully compensated. But uh, yeah, like, uh, get on that, Roland. We need to see. Uh, we need to see yeah. uh, Tom anyway, rolling in the door so we can buy 200 with... motorcycles. Yeah, I'm having some fun with you on that. It's uh, it, uh, but but at any rate, um, uh, we we talked about it. and We just and for us, White Brothers, we had you know a lot of older customers and and all, and they and they wanted to you know continue to race. But there really wasn't, you know, a significant event reasons to continue racing and all. And we just thought, hey, if we could have this, you know, major, major event uh, that we uh, we could actually, uh, you know, kind of get people continue to riding. And, and uh, I actually went to the track owner and the guy, uh, Jim Beltnick. He was the guy that ran the Saturday Saddlebacks, which was, you know, a staple for us from the um, mid-70s into the 80s. We had got there and we got long motos on Saturday and it was all good. And I went to him. He was running the races at Paris. I said, "Hey, I want to do this and I'd like to have a World Vet Championship only for riders 38 years of age and over." He goes, "Nah, I don't want to do that." He goes, "I don't think that you know you, you'll get a d- decent crowd." So the I went to the track owner and um, uh, I had his name on my mind. I think it was. Not Jerry, but I'll, let's just say it's Jerry. And I said, hey, I'd like to do this event. We're going to, we'll do all the publishing uh, or the promotion of the event. We will put up the pro purse. Will you do it? Doug goes, oh, heck yeah, for sure. 
So we did, and the first year we had like 160 entries, which, you know, it, it made it viable. Next year it jumped over 300, and we just kind of took it. And you mentioned this last year. Uh, when I sold White Brothers in the end of 2000, the uh, the event basically uh, you know was still ran by White Brothers and is still passionate about then by 2007, White Brothers was no more. They they took that $40 million a year company. They tried to change it. And I'm talking about Motorsport Aftermarket Group, the buyers. Right. And it's unfortunate for them. They shouldn't have bought the company. It wasn't a right fit for them with the other companies they owned. And <clears throat> so the, the, the race basically and the sponsorship of White Brothers went away. So my friend Larry Pop at MTA took it over, and they ran it for a few years. But it it was just like an event. It was, it, I mean, it wasn't even an event. It was a race. And I, I just saw it going downward. And I was putting a lot of effort into doing this Edison Die Lifetime Achievement Award, trying to make it, you know, really uh, cool. And I just finally kind of went, I called Larry here a little over three years ago and said, Larry, and I called Lori at Glendale. I said, um, I'm going to support the event but I'm not going to work it anymore. I don't want anything to do with it because unless I, we can take it back and have my daughter's company run it, and then you know there's some motivation to do it. And keep in mind, there's never been a cent taken in 32 years from TW or W. Not a cent. Every penny goes to Glen Helen. Wow. And, and up until up until two years ago, up until a year ago, we paid the pro purse and all that. They finally agree now that they're making so much bank off of all of our hard work, we don't have to pay for that. But but at any rate, this last year we had over 1,300 entries, and we had riders from uh, 20 countries, 38 states here in America, and two territories. It was amazing. And i got to tell you, and I'm going to – sorry for your listeners – I was a pig in shit. And this was <laughs> – I mean, I the, the, I was so proud of this event to see it like that and to see the international riders and we had them coming from everywhere and, and I just I just was really really proud of it and so we I think we brought back the significance of the event and I mean it's already published in videos from New Zealand to Australia to Japan to Europe it 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 is it is a world bet championship so yeah that's cool. Absolutely, I saw uh, number plates and uh, and gear from all over the world. You had uh, uh, Alan Bott all the way from uh, from England, bringing his uh, his Can Am five uh, four, I think it's four ninety uh, all the way across. He's racing that thing. You saw guys from Brazil. You saw guys uh, from uh, you had uh, Josh Coppins uh, uh, rip, ripping around out there. It was it was uh, a coming together, and one of the, the common theme that I saw on the face of just about every single uh, them coming off a track is uh, just proud to be there. And uh, that that's as someone who's putting on an event, that's what you look for, right? That you want people to to want to be there, and just uh, regardless of their their placing at the track, uh, so that they took part in something special, and um, that's something that can be uh, is to be cherished. Hard to add to that, buddy. No, yeah, and and if you at 28 years of age got that out of it, and uh, it tells me that that's it's really successful. So I'm very I'm very proud of that event. 
Um, I don't work at W. That's my daughter and, and son-in-law's yeah. company. I might show up there once every five, six weeks to take Kristen to lunch. There you go. In the beginning, I was the bank, and uh, <laughs> you know, gave her gave her the money, and 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 then I, I gave an equal amount of money to my son. He bought a home with it. She bought a business or built a business, and so I say, okay, kids, now it's up to you. And, and you know, it's, every once in a while, she'll ask me what I think, and I tell her. But no, it's hers, and I'm proud of her. And and, uh, and so you know, my main work now is I work you know with Glenn Helen. I, I'm on. Um, I, I actually serve in a small way with the AMA's Motorcycle Hall of Fame as a board of director, and I'm on a the Trailblazers board of directors. You never heard of them, but they've been around 73 years. Okay. <clears throat> and um, I have this museum, and uh, so this museum was, was a lot of fun, and we raised. Last year, 2015, for the High Hopes Head Injury Program that helps my son. Right. And I just I didn't know the number, but I just met with him uh, on Monday uh, or last Friday, and that's Mark Desmond, the director of, of the Brain Injury Center. We raised $170,000. Wow. On a on a five hour uh, open house last year, May 31st of 15. And so we're going to do one here. And, and my wife said, if you do one again this year, she'll divorce me. I said, okay, we'll wait another year. So we're going to do one this next year, and that'll be uh, June 4th. And uh, we want to raise a lot of money for the head injury program. Unfortunately, all of us that are in action sports and any other sport, whether it's football, every once in a while you fall off and bang your head or crash in a car, bad things can happen. Well, absolutely. It can be the the um, it can be a horrific accident or or even a rather simple one. Uh, the brain uh, does does is is a bit of a snowflake in that respect. Is it, it doesn't really differentiate what what happens to it is uh, is what happens to it, and the, you can have some devastating effects. And obviously, uh, um, something that uh, weigh, weighs heavy with you, obviously with 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 your son. Um, but uh, I, I reference a, a photo that I saw after while you were emceeing the uh, at the the, the final portion of the uh the vet world championships uh a young man listening to his dad talk passionately about motorcycles and uh, and addressing the the crowd um it, it's uh it's that that in and itself is, is something special to see and to see that you've been able to uh take a lot of good out of that and raise so much money for uh for research is uh is no small yeah. uh miracle so uh that that's something's really special and uh to know that he's another good looking brad out there is uh, is a good thing as well yeah i know yeah well you know gotta love our brads and uh, yeah. and and, and, and <laughs> so so yeah it's it's anyway it's 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 very nice to have this opportunity to talk to you and and um you know share the moment and and uh yeah, talk about motorcycling. Yeah, things are going forward. There's going to be some interesting times up ahead, though. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, how often do you st- do you get out on uh, on a vintage motorcycle? How often do you get out on a on a, uh, a brand new uh, 2017 model? Uh, and and what what is your your bike of choice? Because uh, uh, there's a, a lot of people have schools of thought as far as uh, vintage bikes go. People like to restore them and just look at them. Some people like to ride them. What's your take? Um, the, um, I, I subscribe to the Jody Weisel school of, I didn't like them that well when, when they were new. <laughs> so, uh, I want to ride the latest and greatest stuff. Having said that, I've ridden, uh, I've been, been riding KTM for the last couple of years. I've, the 350 is just a real good bike for me. 
at at 67 years of age. Uh, I think uh, the 450s, realistically, there's there's a handful of, of riders in the world that have the skill to ride a 450 on a motocross track to <clears throat> use its full potential. I'm not and one of them. The 350 just works really well for me. But I did not buy a 2017. I've tested all of them. I rode the 250, the 350, 450, because the changes were minor. But I did go, I did buy the, 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 the factory suspension. So I got the cone valve forks on at the track shock, and I love that motorcycle. It's really good for me. All right, uh, there you go. The, uh, yeah, the, the perfect cross-section. Yeah, it's, it's a 350 that's lighter than any of the Japanese 250s. And, um, yeah, it's a great bike. Having said that, um, I, I, I have a 2013 YZ252 stroke and in, in a way I wish we'd never gone away from those. They're, it's, it's hard to be as efficient on, on those, but they're better. They're more fun and they're Ab- cheaper. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I, myself, am a two stroke guy, um, for more budget reasons than anything else. But, uh, I, I, I love the simplicity of the, of the machine. Uh, when, when a, a stock 252 stroke shows up in your garage, uh, for, in it, with instead of like they, you can bolt on a few things and do some some uh, light porting and polishing, but for the most part, there are lights out from the very beginning. Um, and as soon as as long as you uh, lock in the suspension, you are good to go. As well as uh, throw on a set of W wheels. Uh, but um, these things, they're 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 great bikes. They're they're a little bit more difficult to ride, but I think that's that's part of the fun of it, right? It is, is the, the oh, I agree. Dancing yep. on the shifter, finding the right gear all the time, and uh, honestly, there's no more satisfying feeling for me than pulling out of a corner uh, and edging out a, a 450 or 250F, knowing full well that uh, that that 450-250F is basically a full-blown easy button uh, riding that you can o- you, you're always in the right gear. You can always find a way to uh, to jump the jumps. Uh, so uh, it, it's kind of just yeah. a feather in your cap if you can uh, you can you can hold on to one of those things. And uh, like Jody Weitzel once said or as we were talking about it um the top selling bike from yamaha isn't the uh isn't uh, a brand new yz250 it's a used yz250 <laughs> yeah they're pretty popular they're, yeah i've had a bunch of offers to buy mine because you know because I, I don't race it on a regular basis but uh, the two-stroke i'm talking about the yz yeah but no i love it i love it you know i mean when you when you're fortunate enough to have done okay and have 180 motorcycles like I do. Uh, you know, I, you can kind of ride anything you want. <laughs> that that you absolutely yeah. can. Yeah, um, so I'm 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 a glutton. So I'm. I want to apologize to anybody out there that thinks that's too many motorcycles. And I would just tell the older uh, men that um, you know if their uh, wives are upset because they've got you know so many motorcycles, mm-hmm. just tell them I've got 11 inside my house. Well, my my dad is is uh, in his current possession is only a hundred and seventy behind you. Uh, my mom knows about uh, six of them, uh, but uh, six out of the ten that she knows about. But nevertheless, uh, dad's completely addicted. That would spawn my addiction, and uh, and that's why we, we we do what we do. It's uh, he's got his he's got his uh, he's never sold any of my bikes. It was the whole, most hilarious thing. My my race bikes. He's also got three uh, Ducati uh, uh, sport bikes, uh, including the eleven nine nine Panagale, which is way too much bike for a fifty fifty nine year old. Oh, good but, for him. But uh, well, well, tell him we should talk. I mean, I'm, 
you know, that's their. I, I do have a Ducati F1B, but I've got an RC8, which is the KTM 1190 road race bike. Yeah. I've got the new 1290 KTM Super Duke GT, which is kind of the the naked bike. With I just bought that. I mean, went hmm. went to KTM. I'm kind of friends with them at the factory, and and they had one that had a few miles from a magazine, and you know, had a couldn't help myself, bought it. <laughs> Absolutely. So, but yeah, I've got. Got an 1190 adventure, got a gold wing on. Yeah, anyway, I, I don't need to tell you how I got a lot of motorcycles. <laughs> Tons of them. Yeah. Uh, what what qualifies a motorcycle to yeah, enter? Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Can you hear me? No, I, I, I'm, I'm finished. Go ahead, Brett. Oh, sorry. Um, what qualifies a motorcycle for entrance in the uh, the your, your museum? Is there like a, a special? Like, are you, is it specifically always uh, trying to do like a, a replica of a of a factory bike, or are they specifically factory bikes uh, from yesteryear? Like, uh, is there a certain age uh, year that you kind of cut them off uh, of um, if it's too new to go into the museum? Uh, what what qualifies uh, to be to be part of that uh, museum of yours? Yeah, great question. Thanks for asking. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's called the Early Years of Motocross Museum. Uh, the focus, and uh, I'll do a book someday. I keep promising. It's the Early Years of Motocross in America. And if you look at the sport, uh, a man named Medicine Die uh, was in Europe conducting uh, tours on with BMW factory delivery. Uh, and, and all around Europe, and he started attending a couple of the GPs, and he found that uh, motocross was really cool, and this is like 1964-65. He actually convinced the Husqvarna factory that he thought he could build a marketplace here in America for him. So he real, he ended up uh, convincing him to sell him a couple bikes. One of them went to a rider named Malcolm Smith. Another one went to a rider named Bill Silverthorne. And then they, that same year, he uh, he convinced the factory to send Torsten Hallman over here, and they put together a seven-race series in '66. And he he's the man that really started the sport. So the, the 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 entire focus on my museum is telling that story, and and the focus is on Edison Die, because he's the man that started the sport here in America. So I go from really mid '60s to mid '70s. As soon as the travel comes up. And we get into you know the uh, the year, especially seventy five. That's when the manufacturing it was being done in the aftermarket in seventy four. But it was seventy five that the OEM started lengthening the travel of the bikes. My uh, interest kind of tapers off a little bit. Though I have, I mean, thanks to um, you know, Yamaha's race director Keith McCarty, I've got in the museum. I've got the ninety nine, the two thousand one. McGrath Supercross Championship bike. I got the 2004 Ch- uh, Chad Reed Championship bike, and I got the 2009 James Stewart 450 Supercross Championship bike. Wow. I also got the 91 Mike Kadrowski uh, 125 AMA National Championship bike, and I've got you know uh, a brand new YZ 490 that was gifted to Brock Lover when he won the 85 AMA 500cc National Championship on a YZ 490, which is. Uh, you know, I mean, competing against the Trek Hondas and all that stuff. I mean, yeah. to speak about what a fabulous, fabulous talent Brock was to take that hunk of iron and be able to win a championship with it. So, yeah, I, I, but yeah, so focus mid sixties to mid seventies. But then I, you know, as the the I also kind of tell the story of the bikes that were built before that, the big four strokes. So I've got those, 
and then I've got a couple of specifics from later on. But yeah, yeah that, that's a, that's that the focus is mid '60s to mid '70s. And you've got some real crown jewels in this. Uh, it's not just uh, a bunch, a lot of bikes that were uh, crazy mass produced. You've got uh, more than a couple of machines within that collection that uh, there's only a handful of them uh, around at all, if not even were even um, uh, produced at the beginning. I, I know uh, like one of, the, one of the highlights you have is, I believe, a Suzuki from 67? No, good call. It's actually a... It's a, the uh, it's a '68 TM250, okay. and it was actually they built. And, and you get people. I mean, I see it on on Facebook and the internet that they're guessing the production all over the place. But from what I've been able to to figure out, and and, uh, and uh, there's a friends of mine that have these things. There was probably about a hundred of them, and I think just a little over 50 of them were imported in America. But it's called. They were based off of the RH67 um, Suzuki Works bike. And the factory actually produced about a hundred of these things. They actually came with a parts kit, and uh, they're very, very special. And probably you, you jumped right to the top of the list. Uh, not my most valuable. Not um, not the the, the um, uh, maybe the most unique. But I got two of them. I've got one in the family room, so when I'm watching TV, I ne- it's never out of my sight. Perfect. And i got another one right outside my window, so when I'm in my office, which I'm in here by 6.30 in the morning, I can see it there. So I guess that means it's my favorite, <laughs> and i got two. Wow, well, two of them, uh, and uh, are they are they basically in uh, original trim, or are they kind of uh, mocked up to be uh, like a, the uh, the R H or yeah the R H special racer style uh, factory bike? There's there's not a single bike in this museum that is not in original condition. Wow, okay. I have no I have no interest in in modified bikes. Hmm, so okay. the, the 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 entire museum is trying to focus on as close to the way they came off the production line as possible. And even on some of the, um, uh, the specific race bikes, I have a, have a, uh, a 1968 uh, Husqvarna twin-cylinder 500 Baja Commander, and it's as close as I think it came off the assembly line. But it's hard to know because they only built three, and there's only one left in the world, and I got it. But, but yeah, it's so. so I have a... You know, friends of mine that have great works bikes that Champions Road, and um, and all. But my bikes here, uh, the majority of them are production bikes, just the way they rolled off the assembly line. And everything that I've tried to do, or with my restorers, is to try and achieve them to be as close as possible to that. Include the fit, the finishes, uh, even the tires, and, and that that that's. That gets to be the expensive part there, is the tire. So yeah, but uh, yeah. So that's a serious obsession, and uh, it's kind of unique in the fact that back in the day, like it's not like now where you could buy a bolt kit for a Yamaha and and, and fit things into your your Kawasaki or Suzuki. Most of the Jap bikes are all the same, um, but uh, back then, whether it be a Greaves, whether it be a Yamaha, whether it be a, a Boltaco, like every every way to skin a cat possible, everyone thought that the other companies were completely out to lunch as how as far as how they were going to uh, manufacture a motorcycle. And then, and then uh, leap forward two or three years, you'd have the same manufacturer uh, with the Kickstarter on the other side of the motorcycle. So um, th- there's a lot of different things going on there. Like, there's a lot of uh, trial and error and just totally different way- like motorcycles altogether. 
Yeah. Well, you think about how good the bikes we we have now are, and 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 yet you'll take your brand new bike out, and then you go over there, and and you'll just you know you'll 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 short that triple and wad the thing, and you bend the subframe and you tear up the plastic, and the bars are bent, and the pipes, you know, dust and all that. Well, you think about these bikes back then. I mean, these bikes they a they were fragile as heck, and they had what four inches of travel on the rear, six inches the front at the most, and I mean. And they would destroy themselves. Parts would fall off them. So to try and bring those bikes back and find those original parts, man, it's a challenge. So, so um, I've I've had really good luck uh, finding stuff. But but I've canvassed the world worldwide. I've got a friend over in Europe, Franz Munsters, that was the owner and founder of Twin Air and a business partner for years and years. And he's found me twenty some bikes over there. And, and if you're going to restore one, you want to find one that is as close to original. And you really look at if they've got original tires on it, you know, hey, maybe the you know crank seized up or something. You go, you know, buy that. <laughs> That's easy. You can you can find a rod. You can rebuild a motor. But if it's you know if the guy's you know it's got you know 300 hours of, of hard use to get it to where it can be you know in the kind of condition I want is difficult. And I've got a lot of bikes in the museum. I say a lot, over a dozen that are brand new, unrestored, from 40 years ago. So that's the holy grail there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and like, uh, for uh, are there? Do you have any bikes that uh, have never even been started? Like you had them straight out of a crate? Yeah, it, it, probably eight to ten. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's no, it's, incredible. It's, uh, yeah, no, that's, uh, believe it or not, and uh, it's always a fun story. I, I have one right outside my window here in my office. That's a, a 1974 BSA B50, and it's a 504-stroke bike. But the story on this one, and I think it's kind of interesting, the the guy was in his late 60s, he's about the same age as me, and he really liked BSAs. So he bought two of them. He bought one to ride, and he bought one for his living room. And the guy lived in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and his son called me and said, hey, I got this bike, and, you know, it's like it's, it's never been started. And, you know, he, he I forget how much he wanted for it, sold it to me, and unfortunately his son's no longer with us either, but but just a great story. And that's kind of the fun. When I look at these bikes, I mean, yeah, I look at, you know, hey, that's cool, I wanted that bike, and I look back at why I wanted it. But I look at the story and the characters I met, Along the path, finding these bikes and the people, that's that's really cool. I mean, it's really fun. So yeah, it's part of the collection of passion, passionate collecting, and you know, I, I worked hard to to you know make a little bit of money in this business, and I made actually did well. But I don't look at this as foolish investment. These are these collectibles, and whether you're collecting motorcycles, or classic cars, or you're collecting airplanes, or tractors, or or sewing machines, uh, I don't care, or guns, you know, that, that they have value. And I think, you know, you can have a stock or bond portfolio, you can have, you know, commercial, I have commercial buildings, but you can have commercial or residential investments. And, you know, they're not a whole lot of fun. I mean, you're, you're you know, you look at your stock portfolio, it went up or down. But these bikes, I can enjoy these bikes every day. And then, you know, I hopefully that, uh, I'll have some warning before I, you know, it's time for me to, you know, say goodbye. 
mm-hmm. and uh, I think I, I can sell them at a at, at pretty good uh, rate of uh, return. Yeah, and, and you, uh, hopefully pass them, on, pass them on to somebody that's really important to them. So we'll see. Absolutely, a, a collection like that, uh, and uh, um, there's there's an unlimited amount of uh, buyers to, uh, to who'd want a bike like that because if whether it was someone who rode a bike uh, had had a bike that year or was dreaming about having a bike of that year, uh, those people are willing to pay uh, top dollar. I know um, my like uh, a quick story about my my dad's vintage bike. He's got a '78 RM125. It's uh, a little maybe a little longer travel than you prefer in the uh uh in in the museum but uh, nevertheless uh he always talked about this bike as if like it was just the one that got away so to speak the great white buffalo and uh he said he's like i saw one i had to buy i had to get it from my dad and uh uh like he would have bought it himself, but I, it would be even more special if I could lay down the cash and present it to him on Christmas morning last year. And I, I probably won't be able to outdo that this year. I know, actually, I know I won't be able to. But uh, either way, uh, guys like my dad, like, uh, w- wouldn't bat an eye at uh, throwing down several uh, thousand dollars just so they can get that bike back that they either they, that they had or that they wish they had way back in the day. Well, I got to tell you, you are an awesome young man to do that <laughs> for your dad. That yeah. that. That is absolutely amazing, and uh, wow, yeah, it says a lot about you. And, you know that '78. I have a '76 uh, RM370 in the museum. That was a great bike. Uh, I do have a '78. I got, uh, you know, I've got. I actually have have you know some '77, '78s. But but to do this for your dad, you know, that's that's cool. There, there also though, and, and I'm realistic of that there is a window, and the the window is basically. For most of us, you what 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 you at, at 28 years of age might be looking for when you get you know 50, 60, will be something that you had really wanted back when you were you know that in your teens or, or 20s. Yeah. And so you may not be interested in this stuff that I have, and we'll see. So that that's it, it, it's on the other side of the vintage market. You know the vintage Harleys, the vintage Indians. That stuff seems to be still going well. Uh, and, and all, but, but, you know, again, it's, it's, uh, uh, you know, I, I have, you know, younger visitors come in the museum and, you know, they'll, they don't spend much time with, with the old stuff, but boy, do they get excited about seeing the Supercross championship bikes over there. They get real excited about that stuff. So, so yeah, Hey, it, <clears throat> you know, ultimately for me, uh, uh, this is, this is my home here. I mean, I, I, I have two museums on the property, one flat track, one this. But I'm in my office by 6.30 in the morning, and then I'm off to do whatever I do during the day. But when I open the door and I look at my 119 motorcycles in this room, I pretty much know it's going to be a good day. Absolutely. No, it's uh, all way too much shiny uh, things going on and uh, <laughs> just surrounded by passion. You like we, we, we talk about the sport as if it's uh, so much greater than it is, but... Um, like like you said earlier, like you have to experience it to to truly value the the sport of motocross, and and that's what uh, allows us to uh, on a on a on a cold and blustery Winnipeg evening or on a beautiful uh, yeah. 
Monday afternoon, uh, spend an hour to uh, to just uh, just just gush about the the sport we love so much. Um, it's 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 great to see that uh, over all these years the uh, the shine hasn't been uh, hasn't worn off for you at all, and uh, and that that's that's kind of a testament to the sport in and of itself, right? It certainly is, absolutely. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's uh, <clears throat> the you know bikes are. Uh, the, one of the interesting things is, I mean, it's just obviously they're very mechanical. Uh, they give you know the, the the riding pleasure of riding a bike back in the day. You can still remember what it what it sounds like and all, but you can see all the parts and uh, and it's just to me it's it's uh, mind boggling and and you and then you look at at the the bikes that the manufacturers are building today. I mean it's it, it's it's absolutely to me uh, unbelievable. But you can go in and buy them. And, and they may seem expensive, but the, the amount of technology and design that goes into these bikes is is unbelievable. And there's, I think there's still a good value. But uh, but you know the problem is is they're not it, it, it's not a cheap sport, and, and that's kind of one of the things that uh, gets back to if uh, we had more the two strokes um, as kind of a, the way up, it would it would not be uh, it would be easier for people to get in and and had some conversations there's some changes coming up possibly in the future in motocross and i don't think we have enough time to get into that now but yeah because i work with the glen hill and i work with the uh, in, uh them uh, with the npg the national promoters group of the nationals uh we hosted the gp i, I went to dinner with you know you streamed giuseppe luongo david luongo's son i know what their thoughts are and uh, there, there's some changes that could come up in the future that would maybe uh, be be challenging for motocross. And I know the OEMs are looking. They're going, "Hey, our bike sales are flat," and they're going, "We need to do something different." So you know, uh, this future of more supercrosses could happen. Um, would that be good for for the sport? I don't think so because I don't think when when you go into the dealership uh, with your young kid and you go hey this is a great sport for us let's get into it maybe we can race i don't think you're aspiring to go out and being performing in stadiums i think you you want to go out and you want to race you know good tracks and i know you got a lot of great ones up there in canada and you want to do outdoor motocross yeah you don't you you grew up that's what you want to do yeah and so so we'll see in the future here but it is it is challenging because as i mentioned back in the mid-70s they were selling two million units now total motorcycle sales are like four hundred thousand. It's uh, it's a tough pill to swallow for them. Well, um, just just to, to make, like just a basic kind of all encompassing touch point on that is the fact that um, my dad bought his first motocross bike. Uh, it was a, uh, a Kawasaki KD one two two thirty. It was uh, kind of a dual Probably sport K- bike. KDX two hundred. That was a real popular bike. Yeah. Yeah, uh, broke a good his, sport bike. Yep. Broke his leg Still on it, but uh, he was able to earn that bike with a paper route and money that he earned uh, from like a, a short period of time working at KFC. Uh, I don't really want to know how many hours you'd need to work at Kentucky Fried Chicken to buy a brand new 450, uh, but yeah. I imagine it's not the same amount of hours. So, um, Brad, Brad, you nailed it because uh, my mom and dad, I mean, my. My uh, unfortunately, my dad got sick when we were in high school, and that was the age I got into motorcycles. And he couldn't work. And my mom had been retired from nursing, 
and had to go back to work as a nurse. So, so uh, I mean, we didn't have money. Uh, so, uh, but but Dan and I worked from the time we were eight years of age on, and so every motorcycle we bought, it was there was not one penny from mommy and daddy. We bought it with our own money. So yeah, that, that's that's uh, that's. That's a challenge. I wonder how many of these young kids that are are getting into bikes buy their bikes, and I'm talking all the way from you know, let's just go 18 years of age down. How many buy them with money they've made from paper routes or soliciting? That's the things I used to do: soliciting paper routes. You know, worked at a grocery store. You know that stuff. Mowing lawns, stuff like that. Construction. I did some construction, mowing lawns, weeding. I wonder how many of them. so, Probably yeah. not too now, many. Now and I that's... sound like <laughs> sound like an old guy. Well, and, yeah, but the, I the... trudged through the snow uphill, uh, back and forth, two miles. Right yeah, so anyway, but it, it was true. We, I bought it with my own money. Yeah, and I think that that to- totally shows value in it. And is that that's like I've I've worked construction ever since I was fourteen, and that's what uh, has allowed me to stay in this sport. But uh, when when I was in two thousand and one, when I was on eighties, uh, we had over seven hundred entries at the local track. That was just that's just entries, not not the total amount of riders. But uh, um, now there's just over two hundred and fifty uh, entries to that same same race, and like there's no qualifiers anymore, and less people show up to all the races, and not everyone's riding a brand new motorcycle, whereas before it was almost like, all right, every two years, like, it's time to get a brand new bike. Um, just, just be, like, it was, because that's what you did, and it, it was affordable, um, but now you, you don't see that as often, you don't see as many people getting into it, because the, the 20-somethings that are my age now, well, who, their, their parents were buying their bikes for them when they were kids, they got to be 25 years old, and they realized that, like, oh, I, 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 I want to buy a house. I can't buy a motorcycle. And, uh, the, but the, the, the four stroke that I have from five years ago is, uh, uh, a pile and I can't afford to fix it. It's not worth anything if I sell it. Uh, so now they're stuck between a rock and a hard place. So they decide that there's uh, more interest in going to the beach and there's more girls than there, there are at the motocross track. So they quit altogether. And then you have less people racing motocross. If you have less people racing motocross, you have less people who want to be at the track. So then it's kind of a compounding problem. And then when we have, then we, we face what we have right now. So, Brad, I'm going to pass the baton to you. You are a young-er, and, and so I want you to come fix it. I, I've uh, already got uh, my retirement income. I'm, I'm invested very well. i got my bikes and all that stuff, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be a smart-ass, but I'm going, yeah, yeah, it's going to be uh, you know, this younger generation. Fix it, because there is nothing, nothing that, that is, is like riding a motorcycle. No. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, I love it. And I, I know here in Southern California, we have a, we still have a lot of areas we can ride. So I mean, people can use that. Well, I can't ride anywhere. Well, you, there's still there's a lot of places you can ride. There and, is, you know, two- some of them we need to make more user friendly here yeah. than they are. We, we don't want to have to go out on you know first time out and go out and, and get on the main track of Glen Helen and and or you know any other tracks and realize, hey, wait a second, there's guys out there that are you know jumping ninety feet. So. 
Absolutely. No, uh, um, the, the excuse that there's nothing to ride kind of falls short on me because uh, within, like, with, I live in Winnipeg. The closest track to me that's decent is about an hour and 15 minute drive. And then the next closest is an hour, two, hour, two and a half hours. Uh, and there's maybe two other tracks that are about two and a half hours away. Uh, but there's only about five tracks total that are uh, really developed and like for, for anywhere really close to me. So uh, I would say, oh. like, and, and six months of the out of year, they're covered with snow. So, uh, um, a little, a few more hurdles than, uh, say, uh, milestone on Monday, comp edge on Tuesday, um, Paris on Wednesday, Thursday, Glen Helen and, um, (laughs) Paula on, on, on Saturday, uh, all, all of which I believe are within a three hour drive of each other. Um, so like that actually, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, Yeah, you, you can ride motorcycles. You can ride motorcycles. It's it's not out of the question. I think it, it becomes down to the finances of it. And, yep. and like I said, when it comes to a, a, a four year old four stroke, um, it's either about it, it's it's not it's either not worth selling it or not worth fixing it, uh, and sometimes both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. But, uh, you know what, you know what, Tom, uh, we've been talking now for, uh, just over an hour and 10 minutes as far as podcasting. I know we spoke b- before, uh, we started hitting record. Um, my, my, my biggest regret in, in the last hour is that we didn't get enough time to talk about, uh, White Brothers, the, the business and the development of it, the rise of it. And then eventually, uh, like, uh, you stepping away from the business, uh, after, uh, spending two years as a, uh, as a consultant for the brand and the, and the company, uh, I would love to invite you to come on. Uh, in the next couple of weeks to uh, as we get closer to a uh, holiday time to talk a little bit more about white brothers the the company and uh and the development of some of the products you did with that so uh that'll be uh tom white part two as we uh, as we move forward with that well <clears throat> we'll just we'll just see how your listeners react to this first one but uh i think uh it's um it, it was uh in some ways it was a dream i mean uh, you know how many to, to, to have lived that and grown through that and, and the, the writers we supported in every discipline. So I would love to tell that story. And, uh, Brad, if you, if you think uh, that uh, that would be worthy, I'd uh, be more than glad to come back on. I certainly appreciate the opportunity to be, you know, on the big MX radio podcast and, and, and your questions were, were, were excellent. And, uh, you know, really had a good time with that. And, uh, I can't wait. Uh, did I get to meet your dad, Brian? I don't think I did at Glen Helen. No, actually, he was uh, he was much too interested. I, I, I was actually kind of like a walk and talk with uh, with John Anderson as we were setting up the uh, the podium for the, uh, the I believe it was the the plus thirty pro on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And I my remember dad you was, were there, and yeah, we just had a brief conversation. So. Yeah, anyway. he was glued to the the starting line at the time. So I, I called down to him to see where he wanted to watch the next moto from, and he he didn't end up coming up to to meet you. But uh, uh, by hook yeah. or by crook, you will uh, put face to a name when it comes to Brian Gebhardt yeah. uh, within the next year. And if he comes down this next year to the thirty third uh, W World Vet Championships, I'm going to comp that dude's entry. So you just <laughs> tell him I got I got and and, and keep in mind I, I I'm not comp, I'm going to tell Laurie. I said Laurie, comp him. There <laughs> she go. will. Okay, I have a little perfect. cloud out there. Well, I really appreciate that. You're, you're, you're being uh, way too kind in doing so. Um, Tom, you've given me, uh, some of the, the most, some of the most valuable thing to you is that's your time. And you've been uh, a great guest here on the Big MX radio podcast show. We thank you so much, uh, for being a part of it. And, uh, and thank you for, um, taking a, a second invitation to do this a little ways down the road. Um, don't hang up just yet, but for podcast sake, we'll cut it off right there.
Okay, bye. Thank you.
Justified Cultures is the kind of apparel from the moment you put it on makes you feel like it was made just for you. Quality, comfortable apparel designed for and inspired by the live what you love lifestyle. Woven throughout the moto, desert, skate, and surf culture of Justified is the desire to celebrate human achievement, to inspire and create a modern lifestyle brand reflecting today's generation. Zach Commons, Matty Jesse, Phoenix Racing Co., Dominique Daffe, Cody Matichuk, and John Short are just a few athletes who don Justified Culture's clothing. Passion needed a clothing line to speak to the way that it lived each day, so we created Justified Cultures. Navigate justifiedcultures.com to easily view over 40 individual styles to help you make a statement every time you step outside. As presenting sponsor to Big MX Radio, lock in promo code BIGMX17 when checking out at justifiedcultures.com to receive 30% off your Justified Cultures clothing. Express your lifestyle with Justified Cultures. Live what you love.